right. Well, good morning, North Shore. How are you? Good. I get the privilege of giving you two introductions this morning. The first is on our new series that we are beginning today. And then second are the speakers that will be sharing this first message today with us. This series was birthed, stirred up, if you would, um, in Australia. So we'll call this our international message. Uh, but I was over there. My daughter last year moved there. And in February, had a chance to go over there and visit. Um, so getting ready to go over there. Excited to see her. Um, always nervous about international travel. Um, but they, they speak English. So I said, I'm good. So, yeah, so I go over there. And um, yes, they speak English, but it's a, it's a different kind of English. Uh, so the dialect was very different. So the uh, English words I used most were excuse me and what, right? Uh, so in flying back, you know, it's a long flight, so I had a lot of time to think. So I was just thinking about that, processing that, praying about that, and just a comparison to our community, you know, our Christian community, the Christ followers, how like those dialects, we have lots of different dialects within our faith, whether it's doctrinal or practices, and in our community, how we bump into each other, and we don't quite get each other, we don't understand each other, and we get upset and angry and disappointed, and all those things. So I was just thinking about that and praying about that, and God brought me to John 17. So uh, we got some Bibles here. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. They'll get you one, and when you get it, uh, go to John 17. And John 17 is what is, is Jesus praying to the Father uh, the night before he was crucified, right before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And so it's called the high priestly prayer because what we get in this powerful section of scriptures is we get to eavesdrop in the Son speaking to the Father. We see Jesus doing what he's doing now on earth is advocating for us. So as he's going to the throne room and fulfilling the priestly duties, we hear him praying. We see his heart and his prayers are for us, his apostles and us now. And so as you look at this prayer, uh, John 17, 22 through 23, kind of really sums up what was his heart. Because if he's going to pray this prayer, speak these words the night before he's crucified, it's the longest prayer recorded of Jesus in Scripture. Um, we may want to pay attention to that. The glory that you, this is Jesus speaking to his Father, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love me even as you loved me. So here's the deal. Our series is called Perfectly One. True unity with God and one another of the millions upon millions of things that Jesus could have prayed, uh, could have talked about in that moment. He talked about unity, of understanding each other, caring for each other, and loving each other. And what that unity will do is draw us into his love and be a great witness to those outside of this. And so as we look at being perfectly one, it's a call, it's an important to Jesus. So we want to lean into that and hear what he has to say. So given the first message today, uh, we'll be Stuart and Amanda Long, and it's going to be their first sermon ever, okay? So we're going to care for them, love them. 
we're excited about it. But I wanted to tell you just a little bit about who they are. Of course, you recognize the name, Stuart Long. That is the son of Pastor Ken, right? And it, you might think, oh, of course, Pastor son, he comes in and uh, works for the church. Well, that's not how it unfolded. I'll tell you how it unfolded. Uh, two years ago, uh, Pastor Ken came to me and said, hey, will you meet with my son? He feels called into ministry and is planning on uh, moving, you know, finishing school and moving to California and being part of Francis Chan's ministry down there. Okay, so one thing is when the senior pastor comes to you and says, will you meet with my son? There's one answer you give. Yes, okay, yes, okay. And so I've met with many of pastor's sons over my career, and so I thought, okay, great, here I go. Um, am I gonna have to pay his bail money? What's, what's gonna happen here, right? Um, no offense to pastor's sons, I love you, it's a joke. Um, so I sat down with Stuart Long and his wife, Amanda Long. It took me about 30 seconds to discover this young man and this young woman have a heart and passion for Jesus Christ. It is contagious. I thought, whoa, okay, I love Francis Chan, but he's got enough people helping him. Uh, we have 60,000 people in this region, young adults, that need to hear about Jesus, and we need that heart. So I went back to Pastor Ken's office and said, hey, yep, I talked to him. I want him here. I want those hearts here. And he looks back and says, well, he's my son. What will people say? He said, let me handle it. And now Jesus handled us. So God did us a great, great favor. And that couple didn't go to California. On their own dime, they came here and, and moved in here and lived here and worked. And ultimately, we got the uh, privilege of bringing them, Stuart on staff as a pastor of young adults. And Amanda, she shepherds them like crazy. And so they're an amazing heart. And they're the right people to start this amazing series off. So... Join me and welcome Stuart and Amanda Long. Um, it's really, fun. it's really funny because in his intro he makes it sound like I know Francis Chan personally, which I don't. So don't come to me being like, "Oh, do you know Francis Chan? Can you introduce me?" I don't. I don't have him on speed dial or anything. Um, so yeah, so we get the privilege of starting the series off in John 17, and um, it really is a privilege because for us, uh, many of you probably have a scripture that you just return to constantly. It's just always on your mind. If you don't have anything else to read, you just flip to that, that passage. John 17 is that for us. So if we're not in a study or anything like that, we'll usually ask each other, oh, what are you reading? What, what have you been reading? And it's usually John 17. So this is a message that we've lived for um, three years since I really met Jesus personally um, at the tail end of my college experience. But this has been one of the most impl influential passages of scripture in my life and has really shaped and, and changed me. So I'm excited. Um, so what we see, as Scott mentioned, is Jesus is praying uh, for unity. He's praying for unity with the church, but he also is giving us a window into a deeper spiritual unity that he has with the Father, and he's inviting his disciples into that. And then at the end of the prayer, he starts inviting the, those who will, will believe the disciples' message into that. So it's this huge kind of enveloping unity, this spiritual unity with him and the Father. And so I was thinking about that, and, and most of us would agree unity is pretty rare in our day-to-day. -day. We don't have a whole lot of unity in the realm of politics. Um, we don't have a lot of unity uh, just in pretty much every area with cultural opinions, worldviews. Um, 
artists versus engineers, like just weird stuff. We just don't have a whole lot that, that ties us together. And unity can be something that we fight over. It can be something that causes division. Um, but unity also in and of itself is not enough. Um, you can rally around something and you can kind of create a following after something, but it doesn't necessarily make that thing good. And so what we want to do in this um, this time that we have is we want to kind of lay a foundation for this series on what Jesus is wanting with unity. He's wanting a specific type of unity his way. And so it's what he wants for his church, but the foundation that we want to lay is that it starts with knowing God, that we can't have true unity if we don't dive into what this means to know God. And before we begin and dive into scripture, um, I want to pray and Amanda and I are both going to pray and just invite God to do work in this space because we know our words uh, are powerless without his active presence in our life. And so we want to invite him to do that today. So if you'll join me, um, we'll pray. Father, I just thank you just so much for just your presence here. I thank you for all these people that have come to just worship you and to be in your presence and that that is their true desire. God, I pray that... uh, whatever people are going through today, that you would meet them where they're at, that your love for them would just become more and more clear, and that through your Spirit's power, that you do a work in our life and our heart and and grow us in this understanding of what true unity looks like. I pray that you grow us into a deeper understanding of what knowing you looks like, um, and that that wouldn't just be a surface level thing anymore, but that maybe today would be the first time that we get a taste of a deeper relationship that you long to have with your children. And so we thank you for this time, and we just pray that um, it would just honor you and please you, and um, we just surrender it all into your hands. Father, we just thank you for this your love, God, that unites us. Thank you that we get to be on this journey together as a family. Mm-hmm. And I pray that Holy Spirit tonight, you would just unify us and be speaking to our hearts in this area of what it truly means to know you and, and then overflow out of that to love one another well. Thank you, Jesus, for making a way in that. Thank you that you gave everything so that we could belong to you again. I pray, God, that you would just fill this space and just help us to understand. Give us your eyes to see. Holy Spirit, just fill our minds with understanding. We give you all praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I want to start off the time that we have with a question, and it's a question that I was asked, like I said, three years ago by a pastor that was, um, I was starting to build a relationship with, but he asked me this right off the bat. Uh, He said, if you were given all of heaven, but you didn't have Jesus, would you be content? Yeah. (laughs) Um, So all of heaven. So if you were given all of heaven, and depending on what you're coming in with today, that could mean uh, freedom from sickness, that could mean freedom from stress, anxiety, depression, anything that might be um, keeping you back in your life right now. If you were given freedom over all of that, but didn't have Jesus, would you be content? And even taking it a step further, if Jesus wasn't the first thing that you saw when you got to heaven someday, would you feel let down? Would you feel like, oh, that wasn't what I was hoping for. I was hoping to, to see him, that he was the first thing that I saw. Um, I want to kind of center our hearts on that idea because it's so important 
to get a picture of heaven. It's, it's important for us to get a picture of what that day is going to look like. Uh, for me growing up, I thought heaven was a destination. It was something that was off in the future, um, a place that you go to someday if you said a prayer, got baptized, lived a good life, did all the right things, kind of went through um, the motions, and it didn't really necessarily matter if you lived for yourself as long as you just weren't doing anything too bad. And so that was just the reality of what I thought uh, heaven was. But what I didn't realize is that there's this amazing, amazing relationship that Jesus wants to have with all of us, and he wants it right now. And he wants it uh, to be a present, abiding, active relationship. And um, so as we dive into this passage, what it's going to do is it's going to center our hearts and show us that God wants so much more for us than just a ticket out of here. He wants so much more for us than, than something that is off in the, in the future. It's, it's something that's right now. So starting in John 17, in verse 1, Jesus is praying, and he uh, says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. So right off the bat, we see this idea of authority. So the Father has given Jesus all authority, and we know at the end of Matthew, it says, I've been given all authority over heaven and earth, and then he gives the command to go and make disciples. So authority is something that I'm glad isn't in my hands. It's in Jesus' hands, and that means that what he says holds weight. It's not an opinion. It's not something that's, that's optional. It's something that is true and something that we can rely on. So the Father has given him all authority, but there's another word that stood out to me just as I began reading this is uh, the idea of eternal. There's this word eternity, which I think in our culture today, and for me personally, I just don't think about that very much. I don't think about each day, what are my actions? What are my decisions? Are they eternal? Are they gonna have eternal value? Or is it just something that's fleeting, something that's passing away? The Bible teaches us that we're actually a vapor. We're like this vapor that's here today and gone the next, and we're like this speck on the wall of like this, this place that we're sitting in, and this whole place would represent eternity. We're just this speck. And so we, it seems so insignificant, and yet this life is so important for us to grasp and so important for us to, to take hold of. Um, I love this quote from A.W. Tozer, he, and many of you, some of you might know this quote, but it says, what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about us. So our thoughts about God, our thoughts about the things of God, so eternity, are the most important things about us because they, they teach us how to live, and you're always going to live out of what you know to be true about God. And so as we were thinking about this, um, this really is why Amanda and I came out here to do ministry. We wanted to develop and cultivate that eternal mindset out in Indiana, and he just began showing us what he was doing in this area. He began to show us what he's doing in the Ever area, and um, so many amazing things are happening, and we're just like, let's just go. And so that, that's the heart, that eternal mindset is what led us out here to begin to do ministry um, with young adults and with our generation. So I want to ask you, are you pursuing an eternal lifestyle, or are we just going with the flow? Um, Jesus, in this passage, so he's been given all authority to give eternal life freely to whomever he chooses, but now he goes on to define eternal life. And this is where we want to land today, 
Um, and we're going to have verse 3 up on the screen. And I wanna, was, want us to read this out loud. Um, and it's, yeah, we can just read this out loud. It says, And this, this is, is eternal, eternal life, that, that they, they know you, the, the only, only true God, God and Jesus Christ, Christ whom you have, you have sent. sent. So there you have it. That's eternal life is a relationship. It's not a destination. And that's the first point we want to make. Uh, this amazing relationship is available to all of us. And what's so cool is in scripture, if you study, study out words sometimes, they have different meanings. And uh, in the Greek especially, there can be a million different meanings for one word. Uh, there's a couple different words to use for know that we see in scripture. There's one called gnosis, which we get the word agnostic. Um, but this know is really, really unique and important for us to grasp because it can be translated literally to mean intimately acquainted. So it's actually the same word that was used in Genesis when it said Adam knew Eve. So there's a deep, deep depth to that word. And so Jesus is saying eternal life is, is to be intimately acquainted with God. And what comes with that, the ideas that come with that are this idea of mutual submission. So you give everything to God and he gives everything to you. So it's this like give and take kind of relationship. And I know intimacy might not be a word that we use on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, but what it simply means is just closeness. It means being in close proximity. And uh, I think the Webster's definition says close familiarity or friendship. And so I want to ask you guys, does that describe your relationship with God coming in today? That you have an intimate uh, knowing of God, an intimate relationship with God? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> Um, I want you guys to get really comfortable with the word intimacy in relationship to God. Because when we think about relationship with God, um, we don't always think of that deep closeness and that deep intimacy, but that is what he has made available to us. And so if it's true that eternal life is being intimately acquainted with Jesus, with God, and then if the world is gonna know us by our love for him and each other, then we should probably figure out and understand what this intimacy with him looks like in our life today. And Stuart and I believe that relationship with God is just far greater than anything this world has to offer. Intimacy with him, closeness with him, friendship with him, all of the above is so much greater than anything this world has to offer. And I wanna give an example of our own life. So Stuart and I, when we got engaged, I was 20, he was 21. Uh, we were both still in college. And one thing that we decided was that we valued our relationship above circumstances. We knew that getting married young, we wouldn't probably, we wouldn't have a house, we wouldn't have all of our finances together, we'd have to start out simple, but that didn't matter to us because we just wanted to live life together. And so I remember we got married right after I graduated college and Stuart was still in school. He was working at Starbucks. I was still looking for a job. Um, we found this apartment in Anderson, Indiana, um, a basement apartment. <laughs> yep, Indiana friends. Um, it was a basement apartment of this old house and it was amazing. There were uh, spiders and <laughs> centipedes and we don't have those kind of centipedes here, praise God. Um, <laughs> 
the toilet from the upstairs apartment sometimes will leak into our kitchen, which was really gross. <laughs> I never want to experience that ever again. Uh, it would flood in the winter time. So basically, like, we started out as simple as you can. And yet we have such good memories in that place because it was our first home together. And we just loved being able to experience life together. And what I want you to understand is that Jesus wants the same thing for you. He wants to experience life with you now. He doesn't want you to wait till you've got it all figured out, till you have your circumstances together. He wants to enter into what you're going through right now so that he can start experiencing your life with you. And he's the one who actually helps us in the midst of our circumstances. Intimacy with Jesus transforms the way we see circumstances and the way we go through them. So your circumstances aren't necessarily gonna change in, in a closeness with the Lord, but he transforms us. And so our perspective of what we go through completely transforms. And we're able to see them with that eternal perspective as we were talking about. A few weeks ago, we were talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they faced some really crazy circumstances, and yet they chose relationship with God above the consequences that they could face of being thrown into a fiery furnace. And they did, they got thrown into this fiery furnace. But the amazing thing is, is that Jesus protected them. He was with them in the midst of that and he was walking with them in the midst of this fiery furnace. And King Nebuchadnezzar, his mind was just blown and <laughs> all the other people were in awe of like, this must be the one true God mm-hmm. because of these people's faith and how God then came through in that way. And I just want us to really understand that that's the same God we have today, that he's wanting to come into our circumstances. He's wanting us to invite him into the things that we're going through. Mm -hmm. And we all have that thing. We all have something and in different seasons, it's harder than others. Sometimes it's honestly just busyness, Mm -hmm. Um, but sometimes it's health, it's marriage, it's a disease we're facing, it's finances. There's always something that's trying to create this barrier barrier between our intimacy with Jesus. But that's not actually a true barrier because he says that he's able to still have that closeness with us despite what we're going through. Um, So do you guys believe that whatever you're facing circumstantially, do you believe that you can still have that full access to intimacy with him? And I want to read Romans 8 to you guys, Romans 8, 35 through 39. And I'm gonna read it in the Passion Translation because it just really reveals the heart of God. So just listen to this. Who could ever separate us from the endless love of God's anointed one? Absolutely no one. For nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love toward us. Troubles, pressures, and problems are unable to come between us and heaven's love. What about persecutions, deprivations, dangers, and death threats? No, for they are all impotent to hinder omnipotent love. Even though it is written, all day long we face death threats for your sake, God. 
We are considered to be nothing more than sheep to be slaughtered. Yet even in the midst of all these things, we triumph over them all. For God has made us to be more than conquerors. And his demonstrated love is our glorious victory over everything. So now I live with a confidence that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. I am convinced that his love will triumph over death, life's troubles, fallen angels, or dark rulers in the heavens. There is nothing in our present or future circumstances that can weaken his love. There is no power above us or beneath us, no power that could ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love, which is lavished upon us through our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. And I love, I love the power of that passage because that is true. God's love, as we experience it in relationship with him, is so much greater than whatever we're going through. And I love that Jesus in John 17 is starting out with that. He's like, I really want you guys to know what eternal life is and its relationship with me. Mm-hmm. So at this point, um, we've heard the word intimacy. We've heard that it's, it's important but I can imagine some of you are like, in your minds thinking of that one thing is like, well then why isn't this one thing fixed or why isn't this circumstance resolved if intimacy is, is what's available? And um, I, I just I just want to, for, with the remaining time that we have, we wanna lay out some reasons why we feel like this is important. Because in our, our day today, we can live apart from God and in, in the world's eyes succeed. So we can, we can live apart from God and get a promotion in our job and, and make money and we can do all these things. So what, what our heart is for this time and as we were praying is uh, just laying out some reasons why intimacy is important for us to have as the foundation of everything that we do. And um, a sidebar note too, as a guy, I know that this is a topic that, you know, is intimacy isn't something that guys talk about regularly and it's their normal conversation. Um, but it, it really is the most manly thing that you can pursue is, is relationship and close friendship with God. Uh, and that's something that I've experienced. That's something that guys in my life have encouraged me in and spoken into me. In. And so um, I guess I just want to make that point. So what we're going to do is lay out some of the, the important reasons why intimacy with God is important. Yeah. And there's so many reasons. Um, so we're just hitting some of the important ones that God has really made true and revealed in our own life. The first one is that we were created for intimacy. We were created for intimacy. And I love the foundation. I love going back to the beginning and why God created us in the first place. And so I wanna go back to Genesis, to Genesis 1. And I'm gonna read verses 26 through 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God was in relationship even before he created us. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit were in communion together even before he created Adam and Eve. And so Adam and Eve were created out of the image of an all-loving relational God. And that's amazing because they were literally, we are literally created 
for relationship. And so we see Adam and Eve in the beginning and they are living out of this dependency with God and they're revealing his image to the world. And when they eat of the tree of uh, the knowledge of good and evil, they end up severing, their intimacy with God is severed and they start living and learning and gaining knowledge outside of relationship with God. And it's crazy because before they ate of the tree, they were still learning, they were still growing, but it was all out of this connectedness to their father. And when you see them starting to live outside of intimacy with God, they're striving. They're, they're, they're trying to do life out of their own strength, and it doesn't go well as we continue to read on in Scripture. And so Jesus then restored that for us. He restored access to relationship with God, right? And he says that he came to seek and save that which was lost. And we understand now that we have this full access again to intimacy with him, to start living rather than in our own strength out of this relationship with God, like the vine and the branch, like Jesus is the vine and we are the branch, we're connected to him. And the point I wanna make is that when we're not living out of relationship with God, we're literally living against who we've been created to be. And this isn't a shame thing. It's not something to put guilt on you. It's not something we should feel like we need to live up to. It's actually God saying, I have so much more for you. Mm -hmm. I've created you and I know how you can best live and thrive. And I've created you to live out of this intimacy with me. Don't try to do this on your own. And he's actually calling us higher into that. Mm -hmm. And I wanna share a story of me personally just experiencing and wrestling with intimacy with God. So when Stuart and I first moved out here, it's almost been two years, um, in any life transition and change, you go through so much. You're processing, you're facing new things, and I was just having a hard time, and I was processing a lot of things, but actually not really processing them. I was just kind of stuffing them down, and that's not normal for me. I usually am really vulnerable with God. I'm usually coming to Him and just laying things out and saying, God, I want you to work with me in these things, but I wasn't doing that, and I remember just being so burdened and so weighed down because I just felt like I didn't understand what I was going through. And I remember one Sunday morning, we were actually driving here to church and I was just a mess. And I knew I couldn't, I couldn't go to church that day. And I ended up dropping Stuart off and just driving to a park and sitting with the Lord. And God spoke to me and said, Amanda, you need to grieve. You need to release these things with me. And I just started weeping and, and just crying with him and crying harder than I had in a really long time. But it was so important because I realized I hadn't been inviting him into what I was going through. I had been trying to do it out of my own strength and he was like, you can't do that. That's not how I've created you to live. And through that release, he began healing me and he began just 
letting me um, give those things to him so that he could bear it with me. And that is how he's intended us to live in that just closeness and inviting him into everything that we're going through so that he can be the one that helps us through it. Mm -hmm. So the second reason why intimacy with God we feel is so important is that it keeps our hearts pure. So uh, in Matthew 5, 8, Jesus said, Um, on the Sermon on the Mount in the Beatitudes section, he says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. So as many of you guys probably have felt at times, when you're close to God, you start seeing things the way he sees them. So uh, what he's saying in this passage is the pure heart, that David heart that just longed for the presence of God, that's gonna actually be something that God uses to then give you his perspective on your day-to-day life. So the more time you spend in his presence, because that's truly where this comes from, is being alone with God. So reading your Bible um, in the mornings, spending time journaling if you don't journal, or if you um, do journal or don't journal. (laughs) Uh, Spending time journaling, spending time just in his presence is gonna be the thing that orients your heart to start seeing things, start seeing circumstances the way that he sees them. And it keeps your heart at a pure place. Uh, we started discovering this as we stepped into pastoring and, and overseeing people and encouraging people, meeting with people for coffee. And um, this was something that we started realizing over and over again is the enemy does not like time alone with God. And so he'll do whatever he can to distract us and, and get us uh, thinking about maybe a checklist of things that we have to go through in order to feel close to God. And this is something that we've experienced personally. Um, Doing ministry, you can come into the presence of God and really start uh, thinking of what you need to do to to reorient your life around what he's he's wanting for you. Um, And it's easy to come into his presence with an agenda, with a hidden kind of agenda thing. Um, But what he wants from us, and this is something that we have encouraged each other in, and my wife does a really good job of this, is just speaking that into me, saying, spend time with God without an agenda. Just get into his presence just for the sake of being there. Uh, it really does change everything. Because usually what, what happens is we have more expectations on ourselves than God actually does. So when we get into his presence, we start realizing that he ultimately just wants to be with us. And that's what this passage in John is explaining is, is God's ultimate desire is to be with his children, to develop a relationship with them, and through that to transform and change us. And I love this analogy, a pastor uh, that I listened to used this, and it really helped me understand the difference between mercy and grace. We use these words mercy and grace, and sometimes it's like, oh, how are they different? Uh, Mercy is what takes you and makes you right before God. It makes you at the place where you can be in his presence and not have any guilt or shame. Grace is actually, and he uses this term, an etching tool. So to create us into God's image, we need to be etched. We need to be shaped and and formed into the image that Jesus is, is modeling for us. And so grace does that. And the only place that we experience grace is at times alone with him, where we're in his presence and he's just etching away at those areas that maybe are uncomfortable at times, but he's bringing us to the place where we are coming more fully into his image. And it reminded me of this passage in Luke 10, uh, where Jesus is visiting the home of Mary and Martha. And some of you guys know the story, but uh, so Martha is busy. She's distracted. She's busy uh, putting all these things together for Jesus, cooking, cooking a meal, 
cleaning the house, doing all these things, and Mary is just sitting at the feet of God. And, and, and Jesus says uh, to Martha, and she actually gets a rebuke, which is kind of surprising sometimes, but uh, she gets this, re- this response from Jesus that says, Martha, you are anxious and worried about many things, but one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good portion, which will never be taken away from her. And what was she doing? She was just sitting at his feet. And I think sometimes that's what God wants from us is to not be so distracted with so many things. I heard uh, another quote from Dallas Willard where he said, hurry is the, the greatest enemy of spiritual life in our day. To, and his advice was ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our life because it just kills this idea of intimacy um, that we see in that passage. And Mary had that. And so as we, we were thinking about that and coming into ministry, we wanted to create environments where we were doing the one thing that was necessary. And so we have this environment, some of you might have heard it, but um, it's, it's a worship night, it's called Zateo, and it's for young adults, but it's also open to, to anyone who wants to join us every other Thursday night. It's young adults led, but the goal of that night is, is simplicity, but it's keeping things at a place where we can um, just really meet with God on a personal level. We have times of prayer for each other. We have, we have worship. We have times of testimony. And the goal is just to do it as a family, just to be together and just spend time with God as a family. And we've, what's so amazing about that is it's true. Being in the presence really does change us. And we started to see so much personal growth in our leaders, personal growth in the people that come. And most people come away just feeling refreshed and ready to, to love people. And that's, that's truly what our heart has been. I think Amanda mentioned it. Is just our strategy for young adults is that we want to be pursuing intimacy with God so that it creates this overflow to so where we look out at the world and we see things from God's perspective. Yeah. <laughs> so the third reason why intimacy with God is so important is that it produces fruit that lasts. And in John 15, Jesus says that the Father is glorified by us bearing much fruit. And the fruit that he's talking about is disciple making. And we talk a lot about disciple making here because we truly believe that the Great Commission and the way that Jesus lived his life with the disciples is the way that we're also called to live and is the way that we're going to spread the gospel and, and reach this world for Jesus. So the foundation of making disciples is loving God and loving others. And you really can't do that without intimacy with God. If you are pouring into people outside of intimacy with God, you feel drained. Like mm-hmm. you, it does not work well. And you end up just making disciples of yourself. You're just replicating who you are rather than replicating Jesus. And this is actually good news for us because when we're connected to Jesus, when we are close with him and we're pouring out to others in those intentional relationships, we see this transformation happen. We start seeing actual eternal fruit happening because people are growing in their own dependency upon Jesus rather than dependency upon us. And this is really our our strategy for young adults. And every environment that we do is is shaped around this, this belief that our pursuit of intimacy with God and our pursuit of the Father's heart is gonna produce this overflow that is 
us genuinely loving with his love one another. And we really are seeing that. And, and it's amazing because people, people are just caring for one another. They're pouring out and not becoming depleted. And they're just loving each other with Christ's love. And that is the lasting fruit that Jesus is talking about. And so we believe that, that intimacy with God is what's gonna lead to a unity of us as the body of Christ. And that through that, the world is going to know him. And we're just gonna keep discovering that in this series and it's gonna be really fun. So the, the final point that we wanna make uh, for you guys, and it's a two-parter, but the, the first part is that intimacy with God leads to power. And I think this is something that uh, you might be thinking, well, how does that work? You know, spending time with God, how does that actually lead to power? And it got me thinking, it got me looking at scripture and thinking of these heroes that we, we come to church and we, we know about like Moses and, and David, who we would consider to be powerful figures of scripture. Um, but underneath it, and, and if you kind of read between the lines, you start seeing where they got that from. And so, for example, in Moses' uh, Moses's case, in Exodus 33, we have this amazing picture where Israel has, Moses has come down from Mount Sinai, he's given uh, the Ten Commandments, and, uh, but he's seen that, that the Israelites have created this calf. And many of you guys know this story. Uh, they create this calf, God's frustrated. He's, he's like, I did everything, I've rescued you guys, and yet you're, you're rebelling against me, you're doing the exact opposite of what I want. And so he confronts Moses, and what he says is surprising. He actually says, I'm gonna send an angel ahead of you to pave the way, and you guys are gonna take the promised land, I'm gonna, you're gonna win all these battles, and it'll be great, and you're gonna go into the promised land, and it'll all be good. But he has this little phrase at the end, he says, but my presence won't go with you. And that got Moses' attention, he's like, he comes back to God and he says, if your presence doesn't go with me, then I don't wanna go. And so that's such an amazing, powerful, and surprising passage to some of us is that, do we hunger and do we want God's presence so much that, that we would sacrifice even, in that case, the promised land or sacrifice those, those things that might be uh, leading to freedom or, or anything that you might be going through? But that's just one example is that Moses considered the presence with God more valuable than even the promised land. And he's a super powerful figure in the Old Testament. We have someone like David even. And I was reading this passage this morning just really... Uh, thinking about this idea again too, uh, in Psalm 27 he says, this one thing that I ask and this I'll seek, just dwell in your house forever and to inquire in your temple and to gaze upon your beauty. That was the one thing that David wanted. And he was a, he was a worship leader. He was a king, but he was also worship leader for his whole uh, nation that he led. So that was his heart too. Uh, we see in the New Testament even that Paul uh, who is a figure who would have been next in line probably to take over as high priest. He had so much earthly wisdom and earthly knowledge. But in Philippians 3, which is one of my uh, all-time favorite passages, he just goes through this list and he says, I count it all as rubbish for the sake of knowing God. And so all throughout scripture, we see these, these instances of these powerful Bible figures whose main desire was just to know God. And I wanna ask you guys, is that your main desire today? Is that something that you hunger for more than anything? And what I love is that the power of God always comes to those people. It always comes to those who just love his presence. 
And the final point that we want to make is, is that intimacy with God leads to freedom. And I know for some of you, as we've been talking, um, there's that one thing, you know, that you can't get past because maybe in your eyes that God is not approachable, or maybe you've done too much to deserve that kind of love. And what I want to encourage you guys with is that Jesus has already made the first move. Uh, the cross is this amazing reality that, that he stepped into our shoes, he died our death, he, he paid the price because he saw value in us as his children, and that's something that we want to celebrate as a church, that's something we want to invite you into if you've never experienced that. Um, but it truly is uh, a simple just act of surrender. Um, I love this quote by another pastor that I, I listened to. He says, Jesus doesn't want you to try to clean yourself up before coming to him. He wants you to invite him in so that you two can clean it up together. And that really does just describe what Jesus is wanting. Is he's, he's wanting a relationship to where we invite him in to our mess, we invite him into our brokenness, and he just starts doing a work in our life. Uh, I want to end by just reading this passage in Revelation 20. And it's a passage, it's a beautiful picture, and it's a passage that many of us have, have heard before. It says, and he's speaking to a church, um, it's a church in Laodicea, and it's actually the, the, considered the lukewarm church. So he says, you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth, which is kind of a gross image. But um, it's, he goes on to say, to give this image and this picture of what Jesus wants for us. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And I just love that because that is truly the picture of what Jesus is wanting. He's, he's standing at the door and knocking. And if we open the door to him, that he'll come in and eat with us. But what separates Jesus from any other religious figure uh, is that he doesn't force it. And I think sometimes we can force force things onto people, but Jesus is so kind and so generous and so loving that he doesn't do that to us. And so he, he puts out the invitation, he puts out the offer, and he just trusts that if the, if the words ring true in your heart that you would open that door and invite him in. And so what we want to do as we close is just to invite you to a time of response, uh, whether that's where you're seated, we're going to have some people up front praying or available to pray. Um, but if intimacy with God is a new thing for you, if, if this is the first time maybe you've ever heard that God wants that kind of relationship with you, we want to invite you to just do this as a family. Um, we truly are a family at our church, and we want to pray uh, for each other in, the, in those lines. And so I'm going to ask Amanda to kind of pray us out, and we're just going to have a time of response, a time of worship, and just really to center our hearts and to accept that invitation that Jesus is wanting for us. I would just encourage you guys that if you feel like the Holy Spirit is doing something in your heart right now, if you feel something that God is just speaking to you through this, whether he's calling you to a new level of intimacy with him, or if he's calling you back to him as, as your first love, that's something that you feel like you've lost, or, or if you've never experienced intimacy with him before and you want to experience that for the first time. You, you want to know what it's like to just live every day out of relationship with him. 
then we encourage you, like, just bring that before him. And like Stuart said, we're gonna have people up here ready to pray, ready to lay hands, ready to just cover each other in this just desire, in this prayer, because we believe that Jesus can meet us where we're at and that it's his power that does the work in us. And so I'm just gonna pray for us and we're gonna worship and we're just gonna come before him. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, that you are just so loving. You are so good to us. Thank you for creating us for a relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus, for restoring that again, for giving everything for us to be back as your sons and daughters. Jesus, we believe that you have made a way for us to experience intimacy with you. It doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what other people say. You have said that we get to spend eternal life knowing you. And we don't want to take that for granted. We want to come to you. We want to say yes to that. And so we just ask you, Holy Spirit, to be just moving in our hearts tonight. We just praise you, God, because it's just the start of something new. And you're always wanting us to just know you more. And so we thank you, Father. We glorify you. We worship you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.